Kristen. Hello, hello, hello. Am I on? Yes? Okay. Um, I love it when Kristen MC. She's so funny. She's so unassuming, and yet she just things she says is so funny, and I, I really appreciate. Thanks, Kristen. Um, you know, talk, speaking about that podcast, uh, I recently listened to my wife, Ida. Uh, she was on it last week. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to support her and stuff. And, you know, so I'll listen to this. And I was amazed at the stuff that she brought up. I was like, wow, this is really good. This is really good stuff. And uh, a little bit like, wow, where did she get all this information? I mean, there's some <laughs> things that she was sharing. I was like, I I'd never heard of that or... Wow, that's awesome. So I actually learned some things from, from her podcast and was just blessed. And uh, it was kind of funny because then she comes home and I'm like, oh, that's the lady that was on the podcast. Oh. Okay, make dinner. <laughs> but yeah, it was, I was just so, so blessed to, to hear what she had to share and especially her heart for heart connection with our kids. You know, her heart to to connect with our kids, to develop this relationship with them, to develop a bond with them that is so strong. I see that in the way she interacts with our son, with Jackson and Eliana, that she wants to develop this bond that is so strong because we're in this time, we're in this season where the kids need instruction. The kids need help, need training from their parents need help to understand how to navigate all the things that are happening. And even for us as parents, we need to see and learn about how, how, how are we supposed to navigate through this time. And that's why I think the series that we're going through is so applicable for what we're, where we're going. Because we need wisdom. We need wisdom. And the answer is not the same for every single thing. There's different things that are coming into our lives that we're facing that we need God's wisdom. We need him to speak to us, to show us how to interact or how to go about what decisions we need to make, what things he, he wants us to do in this season because there's just so much coming up and there's so many things. I mean, there's like huge implications if we don't step into certain things. And so hearing God's voice, understanding what he's saying to us, knowing his promises and his principles, asking for his wisdom to come and fill us up is what we need right now. And so I, I am just so encouraged that we're going through this, this series right now. And um, just the way that we can pour into our kids. Hey, Jackson, can you not play with the chair? Thank you. Thank you. And then he does it. <laughs> uh, Parenting, it's fun. Kids are fun. <laughs> uh, uh, I love it. On cue, right? On cue. So, yeah, I really feel like this series is so critical for where we're going now. You know, I'm, I've been uh, going through Proverbs, reading through it, and um, kind of going, okay, there's a lot of stuff here. God, there's a lot of stuff here. What do you want me to speak on? So as I'm reading, I'm waiting for him to highlight different topics, different themes for me to, to see. And one of the themes that he highlighted was the theme about offense. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I think this is, this is an area I, I want to continue growing in. I feel like there's, there's different things that I struggle with, different areas, different aspects of offense that I take, that I take in. 
that people say things or do things, and I, I take it in and then go to not good places. And so it's, it's I, I, I just felt like a conviction for, for me, but also something that I wanted to share with you guys as far as what the Lord says about offense and what we're supposed to do with it. Okay, so the first thing is, what does it mean to be offended? So I, I read there's a lot of different uh, different ways that people think about the word offense and all that stuff, but I came up one, with one that I thought was pretty good. I, I read an explanation about being offended, and it says this. Being offended is to feel hurt, angry, or upset by something that is said or done. Note that offense is a feeling. Very few offenses result in harming anyone in a factual way, but rather put others into an emotional state because they are confronted with someone else's beliefs which they, with which they disagree. Being offended, then, is a choice in how we respond to others' beliefs, values, and practices. And so I was like, okay, for, for, this, for this situation, I think this is a pretty good definition, or this is kind of a working explanation for what um, I want to talk about today and for what the Lord wants to talk about today. You know, yeah, offense, it's a choice. Cho how we react to it, it's a choice. When someone does something to us, how do we respond to that? Do we hold on to it and let it consume us? Do we hold it in and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to protect this. I'm going to, this offense, this hurt that someone else has done for me, the way they said things, the way they rolled their eyes, right? Sometimes with our kids, the way they say things, we're ignored. This offense that has been pushed towards me, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? And today I want to go over, what does the Lord say? What does the Lord say about that? You know, we learned in Kylo. For those of you, who has taken the Kylo class? We, we had a Kylo class a couple, three, three years ago, three, four years ago. Okay. We need to do it again because I don't see too many hands stand <laughs> raised. In Kylo, it, it's about, it's keeping your love on. Keeping your, that's what it means, Kylo. Keeping your love on. And what Danny Silk is talking about is keeping your love on even when the other person is doing their thing, even when the other person is doing things that are disrespectful or have hurt you, how do we keep our love on? Because that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to keep our love on no matter what the other person does. And so in Kylo, we learned we're powerful people. We are powerful, not because we're super strong or, you know, we work out like Todd. We run these Spartan races or anything, but we're powerful because God, what are you saying? <laughs> we're powerful because God, because God gives us the ability to choose, to make choices, no matter what the other person does. So even if they hold a gun to your head and say, you, do, you know, are you going to deny Christ? That's a choice. We have choices. We are powerful people. And in this situation with offense, we have a choice in what we're going to do. Are we going to follow God? Or are we going to just do whatever we feel like? Are we going to follow the way of righteousness? Or are we going to follow the way of the world? 
And it's the two kingdoms. It's the two kingdoms that are coming against each other that we have to make a choice. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of darkness. What do I want to align myself with? So, going through Proverbs, this is the verse that caught my eye. It's Proverbs 19, verse 11. And it says this, if it comes up. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. God's calling us for patience. God's calling us to not react in that situation, to not just go off on a person, but he's calling us to overlook an offense, to let it go, to let go hurts. Okay? This other one, Proverbs uh, 12, verse 16. If you shrug off an, ins an, an insult and refuse to take offense, you demonstrate discretion indeed. But the fool has a short fuse and will immediately let you know when he's offended. So the, the wise one says, okay, I got this offense, I got this hurt, this person said something to me, but okay, let me, let me shrug it off. Let me, let me you know, let, let me go to the Lord with that. Okay, it hurts. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but we can go to the Lord and say, God, Okay, this person, this thing that they said to me, okay, let me, let me go to you and let you minister to me. But the fool, the fool reacts. Instead of responding and saying, okay, this thing comes, and then we, okay, let me sit with it for a little bit. Let me see what the Lord wants me to do with it. And then respond, the fool reacts. And the fool says, oh, you say this to me, so now I say this to you. I'm going to get back at you. That's what the fool does. That's what the kingdom of darkness does. And then Matthew, I know this is not in Proverbs, but Matthew 5, verse 43 and 44, this is what Jesus said. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, kingdom of darkness. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? That doesn't make sense. Why would I pray for my enemy? Why would I want to bless my enemy? Why would I love them? That's what the kingdom of heaven says. Kingdom of darkness says, well, you treat, you know, the people that you know, the people that you like, the people that agree with you, you treat them a certain way. You, you love on them, okay? But other people, no, 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 no. You keep them at hand's distance. Kingdom of heaven says, you love them. You love them. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Pray for those who persecute you. So as I read these scriptures, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing these two things of what they're saying, the one of the world and one of the kingdom, the foolish and the wise. The foolish says, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back, and worse, I'm going to get back at you. Revenge. The wise says, be patient and overlook an offense. The foolish says, you're not good for me. I'm going to shut you out. I'm going to keep you at hand's distance or even further. The wise says, 
Refuse to let offense color my view of the person. I want to see them the way God sees them. Not the way the world sees that person. I want to see that person the way God sees them. You know, when we let... God, God loves everyone. And God made everyone. And he has a certain design for every single person. And when we let things of the world come in that come against what God says of that person, what God says of people, that's sin. When we come against with what God says about that person, we're sinning. We're actually sinning. He doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to look at people the way the world looks at them. He wants us to look at them the way he sees them. And if and when there are hurt and things that are said, to stop, take a step back, and then say, okay, God, how do you want me to deal with this situation? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to love them? The foolish, another one, the foolish says, let curses rain down on you and your family. The wise says, I'm praying for you and speaking blessings over you. Even in the midst of hurt, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of things being done to us, to be able to say, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm going to bless you because you are God's creation. I don't know if they're Christian or not, but you are God's creation. And God loves you. And I'm going to see you the way God sees you. Yeah. That's how the kingdom of heaven operates. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. We look at it and we go, that's not the, what the world says. That's not how I was brought up. That's not. And yet, when we see Jesus, when we read through the gospels, that's how Jesus lived. Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. This is how God says we need to live with each other. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. He's saying all that stuff, all the things that come in and entangle and bring us into bondage and all the... Uh, um, Hate and anger and frustration and all of that, let it go. The bitterness, let it go. And forgive one another just as we have been forgiven. Why can't we do the same thing that Jesus did for us? I think of the immersive servant when the servant came to the king, and this is totally off the cuff, so I hope I'm getting it right. Um, the, the king... Um, um, released the servant of how much he owed the king. And the servant was so happy. And then he went on the street and found another servant that owed him a fraction of what he owed to the king. And the servant said, no, put him in jail. And, and the king, of course, the king heard about it and didn't, didn't like that. Why would we want to do the same thing like that unmerciful servant who said, oh, you owe me this much, but look what Jesus has forgiven me of. We can look at, at the other person and say, you know what? It's okay. I know you said some things. I know I'm hurt. It's okay. And let it go. Let it go. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that just take your hurts, take the things that people say to you, take the eye rolls and all the face in the, the uh, hand in the face and all that stuff that kind of hurts us and just don't think about it. Bury it, bury it. Don't, don't you know, ignore it. I'm not saying to do that. What I am saying is we need to take that to the Lord. Whenever we're hurt, whenever we hurt, we're hurt by another person, take it to the Lord. Because if we let it fester, if we let it fester, it becomes anger and resentment and, and just a lot of not good stuff, right? And, you know, you think about it, because I've been that place where someone has done something to me, and I just, okay, 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 but, I, but it's still there. You know, I know it's still there, and I'm still thinking about it. And then sometimes I'll tell Ida about it, like, okay, da, da, da. and it just builds and festers, and it just grows. And what do you think happens? Does, like, peace come in? Does, like, good thoughts of that person come in? No. Actually, what I start doing is I start looking for evidence to build, to back up my case against that person. So I'm kind of like an attorney where I'm like, oh, yeah, see, look what they did there. See, that's another example of what they did because they must do it to everybody. So that's another. And this whole thing starts developing momentum. And it's like getting bigger, and it snowballs, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we hate that other person. If we let it get to that place, it gets to something that big. And you know what? It's not just, oh, in the natural, all these things are The spiritual, in the spirit, the enemy comes in, and he sees these things, and it gives him handholds to hold on to us. And he goes, oh, yeah. And he's whispering in our ear, oh, yeah, see what they did? See what they did? Oh, yeah, that's another one. That's a, you're, you're, you're right in judging them that way. You're right. You have every right to feel that way about them. And it just snowballs, snowballs and snowballs. It gets bigger, and it starts rolling faster until it's something that just consumes us. And then we start doing it with other people as well. And so every little thing that comes in, Ah, yeah, ah, that person, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. and then any little thing, oh, you don't agree with me, yeah, 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 yeah. and you become like that, that little monster. We don't want to harbor it. God says, let it go. Be patient. Be patient. Be wise in this. See the big picture of what's happening. Right? See the big picture. See the, the, yeah, see what's happening, what can happen to you if you just let it fester and you let the enemy get that foothold. You know, we've been learning about this in the cleansing seminar. I think that's another totally God's timing thing where we're learning about breaking soul, soul ties and, and uh, getting cleaned out and releasing people and things from things that are holding us back. And so that's what we want to continue moving in, is in this whole cleansing and cleaning and letting go of hurts and offense and letting the Lord be the one to heal us. Does that make sense? Yeah? Now, what are some factors that can cause us to be offended? <clears throat> well, I think one thing is um, people, some people are highly sensitive. You know, they feel things very deeply. 
things that are like sadness or happiness, just different feelings, they're very, very sensitive to them. And you know what? The enemy can use that. Just any little thing that comes in, it's like, oh, oh, I, I, I feel that, I feel that, I feel that. And it's, it's, uh, it's tough. I can imagine it being tough for those, those people with that kind of sensitivity, that it's tough because they feel things very deeply. But you know, at the same time, I see that what God can do with that, God can redeem that, God can use that. Because those people, I feel like, are the ones that are very sensitive to the Spirit. Very sensitive to the Spirit. And they can sense what God is doing and how He's moving. Because God has designed them a certain way. And so, if you're one of those people that are very sensitive and you feel things very deeply, I would encourage you, to keep seeking out the Lord and what the Spirit, sense what the Spirit is doing. Talk with other people who are very highly sensitive as well because they may share some things with you that it's like, oh my gosh, that, I, I feel that way. I, I sense that. I feel that. But I think those people are, are very uh, sensitive. And so when it comes to words that are criti- critical, that it's like, oh, and they feel it very, very deeply, and it's easy for them to hold on to that offense. I think another thing is people, uh, we can be fearful of what people say is true. You know, so like someone will say something, and then it's like, and then that fear kind of comes in like, oh man, is that what they're saying is true? Now, if it's completely wrong, then I think people go, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know? So like for me, I I remember I went to uh, Tokyo Central, and I, I was in the Hawaiian section of the grocery store and uh, looking at Hawaiian stuff. And then this lady comes up, and then we started talking. And then I, I don't know how we got this conversation, but I guess I'd mentioned something about I was born in Hawaii. And she goes, oh, so you're Hawaiian. And I was like, uh, no, I'm Japanese. She goes, yeah, but you were born in Hawaii, so you're Hawaiian. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Hawaiian is an actual race and ethnicity, and I, I'm Japanese, but I was born in Hawaii. Yeah, you're Hawaiian. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, whatever, whatever. But, you know, I, I was like, okay, lady, you don't, you don't know what you're like. <laughs> but, you know, because I was like, okay, whatever, I, I could let it go. Actually, a little part of me is like, did I let it go? Because I'm bringing it up now, and <laughs> I've memorized, remembered it. So maybe I didn't let it go. I thought I let it go. <laughs> So that's one example of, possibly, of <laughs> having a, a fact that, you know, it doesn't really matter or it's not true, completely not true. We had this reunion, family reunion, a few years ago. And we had it, and, and then we came back. It was in Hawaii, and then we came back. And um, I was talking to one of my relatives and that wasn't able to make it. And um, he, said, uh, he, was, he said he was very surprised that it actually happened because I and other, some other people were the ones leading it. And I was like, wow. Uh, and so he said, yeah, you know, just kind of the way things happen, the way you grew up and all kind of stuff, I'm actually surprised that you actually carried through on it. And I was like, wow. I think he meant it as a compliment, but it was like, you know, <laughs> it felt like, and, uh, and so there was a part of me that it was like, wow, that, that kind of hurt because I'm getting an insight into how he's viewing me. But as he shared with me, I'm, I'm realizing that, okay, he's seeing me as a teenager. And 
I think I'm different now. And so, so I had to spend some time with the Lord processing that. And I felt like the Lord was sharing that, you know, your relatives, they're going to see you a certain way at a certain age and stuff. And part of, of that is just letting it go and stuff. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. So again, since I'm sharing it today, I'm going, gosh, did I really let it go? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's still some stuff there that needs to be cleaned out. But I could tell that affected me more than the other example. So I think that's one thing is being fearful of what people say is true. Another one is suffering from low self-esteem. I think when we're living out our identity in Christ, our esteem is, is strong because we know whose we are. But when we're not, or if we're not a Christian, then it's like it, it can really, we can take it in, what people say. Even if we don't believe it's true or not, things that people say, we can take it in very easily. And then what happens is we start to spiral and spiral and spiral, and our esteem can go down the tubes as we continue taking in things that are offensive to us. So suffering from low self-esteem. Um, another one is feeling like we're being personally attacked. So, like, are you doing a good job? Are you lazy? Are you, you know, when we're getting that sense from another person of accusation, it's like, whoa, that we can take it personally. And we get into that survival mode, and then we want to attack back. And the last one is we feel that our values are questioned. It's, you know, if someone says something against our values or beliefs, it's an easy road to getting offended. You know, I, I vote this way, and I vote this way, and then it's like, oh, these policies, these, you know, all these things that are happening when, we, when we're fighting, or, or I, I'm Buddhist, and, you know, I'm Christian, or, you know, whatever, that's when we can take offense, when people around us are not agreeing. I think, um, I, like I said, I know for me, there's a few of these that I'm kind of even, I'm struggling with. I once in a while, go, like, get into that place, and um, it's that whole thing of, we need to just come back to the Lord, come back to the Lord, come process with Him, let Him speak to us. This is our opportunity to grow. I know we may look at it and go, oh, man, I got three of these things, or this one is really bad, I really struggle with this one. It's an opportunity for us to grow, to address these issues, and to say, God, I don't want to be someone who gets offended all the time and gets angry and, and starts to spiral and get depressed. But I want to be someone who can hear things that people have to say and deal with it and respond in a healthy way. That's where we want to be. Now, let me go over a few things talking about how to overcome offense. The first one is we've got to know our identity. Right? Who are we in Christ? If we don't know our identity, then, man, we, if we're not walking, and it's one thing to know it, but it has to be a part of our lifestyle. Are we living out our identity, or is it just something that's stuck in here? That's why we've been going over it for, I mean, since the beginning of Catalyst, we've started going over identity, 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 and we've heard people say, okay, let's enough, enough, can we go on to something else, you know? But the more and more we walk in it, the more and more we step into it, we're realizing that you have to know your identity and you have to live it out. It's not just enough to know what you are because there needs to come the testing of that identity. If there's no testing, 
then your identity, your, your, your confidence, your, your, your trust in your identity, it stays small. But as you keep getting tested, you keep getting tested, then it just grows. It's like lifting weights, right? Do, you want to, do we want to stay lifting five-pound weights the whole time? No. We want to keep increasing so that we get stronger and stronger. Otherwise, that revelation doesn't mean anything to us. So we have to be tested in this. And so this is one way that we are tested in our identity is when people say things and it's like, oh, you're a bad person. Oh, you're a bad parent. Oh, that's, that's one that, oh. But it's like, well, who am I in Christ? I'm a son, right? I'm God's son. Romans 8, 15 and 16. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. We're his kids. We're his masterpieces. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We are chosen to bear fruit, John 15, 16. We are God's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. These are things, and, and there's more. There's more to who we are. These are the things we need to, these are the truths, not just wishful thinking. These are the truths that we need to anchor ourselves in because the wind and the waves are going to come and push us around. And what are we anchoring ourselves in? Jesus, of course, but who we are in Christ. That helps us to say, you know what? You said that thing to me, and that hurt. But you know what? I'm still going to love you because I know who I am. I know whose I am. And I know how much Jesus has done for me and how much the Father has done for me. And I can, how can I give back to you any less? That would just disrespect and dishonor the Father if I hold back from you all the love and all the forgiveness that he has given to me. How can I hold that back from overflowing in my life to, over, to other people no matter what they've done? If we hold on to offenses, we can't do that. Knowing Jesus, knowing our identity in Christ brings us security. Another one, another uh, a way to overcome uh, offense is being humble allows you to see God. I love this story. Second Samuel, this is about King David. 2 Samuel 14, or 16, I can't see now, <laughs> 16, 5 through 12. It says this, As King David came to Bahurim, a man came out of the village cursing him. It was Shimei, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. 
The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last, you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah, demanded. Let me go over and cut off his head. No, the king said. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah, or something like that, Zeruiah, If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abishai and to his servants, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. When I read that, I was like, whoa, David. I mean, my, my esteem, my, my view of David just went up. He was willing to take the curses. He's the king, okay? He's the king. This guy is throwing rocks at him and the soldiers, cursing him, saying lies. And the king says, no, leave him alone. When it could have been so easy to say, yeah, go ahead. Go, you know, go cut his head off. But the king says, no. Because what if he's speaking God's word? What if he's speaking God's word to me? And that some of the lies that he's sharing, that the Lord will see that those are lies and he would bless me because I didn't, basically, I didn't react to it. And I'm going, wow, David. What a, a man of integrity, of honor, and just loving the Lord, that he would be willing to listen to an enemy spout off all these things, these lies. And, and some of them were true because he killed Uriah the Hittite, which was one of his mighty men, but he didn't do anything to Saul's family. And yet he said, let the guy speak. And wow. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to hear, right, criticism from people that we don't agree with or people that we may not like. But sometimes I think those are the ones that God uses to speak to us, to speak truth to us. And if we're too haughty, too caught up with ourselves, we're not going to be able to hear it. And we're not going to be able to listen to what God has to say. Abraham Lincoln, um, I've heard uh, Abraham Lincoln, when he developed his cabinet, it was a bunch of people that he didn't get along with. It said, I, I read this, um, this article, it says, when Abraham Lincoln became president, he appointed a group of opinionated, stubborn, and powerful secretaries, which became known as the team of rivals. President Lincoln carefully selected his department secretaries to bring diverse skills and perspectives into his cabinet. He recognized that cabinet appointments offered a valuable opportunity to build coalitions and strengthen tenacious bonds between factions remaining in the Union. 
All six were more educated, better known, and had more government experience than Lincoln himself. They also brought gravitas to the new administration. While they initially resented Lincoln for his success, they grew to respect his political savvy. And so he surrounded himself with people that didn't agree with him. People who had more education, more experience, he brought them around because he wanted to get the different perspectives of the different leaders. And to hear the voices of people that you don't agree with and then not to be able to take offense or hold on to offense, that's pretty amazing. And then they said they, they grew to respect him because of the way he handled his cabinet. Yeah. If we are humble, if we are willing to humble ourselves and listen to God and listen to other people and not just immediately put up walls, we can hear what God is saying. We might be able to hear what he wants to challenge us with. The last one is uh, we want to forgive others for their offense. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seven, 77 times, or seven, 70 times seven. In other words, unlimited. I want you to forgive all the time. I want you to forgive and forgive and forgive, and after you forgive and forgive again. But just keep forgiving people, especially those that have hurt you. Forgive them. Jesus exhorting them. And, you know, we read Ephesians 4, 32. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave us. We should do the same thing to the Lord. I want to show you a video of um, these two guys and the horrific tragedy that happened in, in one of the man's stories, uh, one of the man's lives. And um, we'll see how this whole thing of forgiveness played out. So I want you to watch this. You see, when we prefer to, we prefer to wait until we feel like forgiving. But if we do that, then our lives are dictated by our feelings. At the fire department, we work 24-hour shifts. And that particular day, we didn't get hardly any sleep. It was literally like three or four seconds to nod off and to cross the center line and, and to meet the other car. To forgive us. We don't think it's fair. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. I'm supposed to be a helper, the EMT and the paramedic and the fireman. That, that helps in these tragic situations, and here I am, caused this. See, forgiveness makes us victorious. Maybe in your heart, you know the right Two men of service, one a pastor, the other a rookie firefighter, forever bound in tragedy. For them, it's hard to believe over a decade has passed. I can still see it, I can still smell it, the horrendous noise and the glass breaking. When the grief counselor approached in the hospital, Eric Fitzgerald knew his wife, June, was gone, leaving their 19-month-old daughter, Faith, without a mom. Faith's just sitting there playing on the little hospital bed with the, the nurse, and of course she sees me and just reaches out. I don't know what she understood, really, but she called her to my lap, and she just went to sleep. And I was thankful because uh, 
I didn't have to pretend that everything was okay. <clears throat> and I was at the hospital, and a police officer came in, and he said, uh, I don't know if anyone's told you, but June didn't make it. And then he also told me, he said, and by the way, she was seven months pregnant, and the baby didn't make it either. Eric, you had the opportunity to really say to the judge, you know what, I think this guy deserves some hard time. What did you do? I remember somebody said this in a, in a sermon. In moments where um, tragedy happens or, or even hurt, that there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or to exact vengeance. And I chose to demonstrate grace. The men knew of each other but endured their grief apart until the two-year anniversary of June's death. Matt Swatzel had stopped by the grocery store to buy a condolence card for Eric when he spotted him in the parking lot. Eric starts walking out of the grocery store and starts walking towards my truck. What do you see in the window? He was just, just bawling. Yeah. And um, so I just walked up and I just hugged him. Um, I mean, it, you know, what do you say? You know, something, sometimes things are best said with no words. That hug must have felt like someone had just put a pin in two years of pressure. That was the, uh, the biggest relief I'd ever felt. He just said from the start that he forgave me. And uh, just hearing him say those words, um, it just impacted my, my life completely. They talked for two hours that day. And where you might imagine the relationship would end. I said, man, I don't know what you're going to say to this. I said, but I just feel like in my spirit that I'm supposed to stay connected to you somehow. And he's like, dude, I, I feel the same way. We knew it was something special. We just had this instant bond. It's unexplainable. It's just easy to talk to each other. Man, look at that deliciousness. We would just talk about life, you know, just how we're doing and just moving forward. And he said, don't let this define you. Meeting with Eric, it gave me hope that we're going to be okay. Sports Illustrated, baby. Oh. As the years unfolded, strangers became friends and something even more. I'm witnessing a little bit of a miracle with you two sitting here together. There's a bond that we have um, that's unexplainable. He's like a big brother to me. You know, we have a lot of fun together, you know, as weird as it may sound and, and crazy, but we do. It's, it's unique. I can't say, hey, this is a beautiful story and it's got a great ending. It doesn't. It's nasty, it's real, and it's something that I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. Both men view their friendship as a sign from above. Another sign? Years later, Eric remarried and was expecting a child. The baby was born on the same due date as the son he'd lost. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. Eric practices what he preaches and raised his daughter Faith to choose love over anger. So next year, that means you're going to play varsity. Most likely. Yeah. I usually just say my mom got in a car accident. I just don't want people to think that Matthew's a bad person because he isn't. He just made a mistake. I just want her to know that she's loved. She's not alone. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Throughout her whole life, I'll be there for her. No matter what. 
So just seeing Faith, you know, holding my kids, it puts a smile on my face. It hurts, but it's the cards that we were dealt. And, and now it's our story together. It reminds me that there's grace and there's hope and there's good. I mean, June's in heaven, you know, and one day, you know, we'll get to all kind of hang out. And so, you know, God's a big God, and uh, I think that's going to be a great day one day. That's a great story. A great story of redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation. And I want to see and hear those stories here in our church where people, instead of falling apart, dividing, people are coming together, even in the midst of horrible and horrific things, that people are able to forgive and give grace and love to each other. So that's my prayer for our church, that we wouldn't hold on to offense, but that we would thrive even in the midst of hurt, thrive even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of, of at times, some, some broken relationships, but to come back together and say, I'm not going to hold it against you. Let's do that as a church. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I, I um, know that you are speaking today, God. You're showing us your heart and how much you believe in us how much you're for us, how much you want for us, God. And Lord, we just want to come into alignment and partnership with you in all that you are doing in the ways to live this life. You show us what it means to live in the kingdom, to have a kingdom lifestyle. And sometimes it goes against what we think or what we believe or what we even know. But God, I pray that we would be a church, a people that bends the knee, bows our head to you, God, and says, God, I surrender to what you call me to do. I surrender, God, to what you want me to do, no matter if it makes sense or not, that I would follow you all the days of my life. So thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. In Jesus' name, amen so much for joining us for our online service hope you will join us in person sometime it'll be great to see you and meet you don't forget to subscribe to our catalyst youtube channel so you don't miss out on anything and be blessed this week and as always thank you jesus